Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. All right, good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, we're going to have to try that one more time. I feed off of energy, and there's got to be a little bit in here so I get started. How's everybody doing this morning? All right, well, hey, thank you guys for being here today. As uh, Pastor Chris said, my name is Moses Camacho. For those of you who haven't had a chance to meet me, uh, excited to be here today. Uh, We are starting, as he mentioned, a series called Graceland, which is absolutely um, a great series to start coming right after Easter. We technically technically started it um, on Easter, as you guys may or may not remember. For those of you who are here, Pastor Chris did an amazing job speaking about Jesus Christ and ultimately the illustration of the garden and ultimately how we how we are often like a garden, a garden that constantly needs nurturing, a garden that constantly needs caring, a garden that needs pruning, that needs watering, that needs, and so we, our lives are a great illustration of a garden that's constantly in work and in motion, and how Jesus Christ is the one that ultimately walks us through that journey. So today, uh, today we're going to focus on, you know, the story of grace, and you're going every week we're going to unpack a different version of how to look at grace. But this week we're going to unpack a version of how, how to look at grace through God's patience, uh, through God's tremendous um, love, through His um, illustration of how He ultimately shows kindness and how He shows um, understanding for our situation. And so there's a scripture that I want to read to you guys, and it may uh, may be on the screen, but it's uh, a scripture in Romans chapter two. Uh, verse 4, and it just gives a little picture of ultimately um, what God's version of grace is for each and every one of our lives. And it says, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you. So here we are in the book of Romans. Uh, the Apostle Paul is sharing with, with, the, with the people who were living in this time, obviously needing to hear God's word and encouragement. And he was, you know, and people were discouraged because, as you know, people often make you know, mistakes. They fall short. They, they, they fall in the same traps over and over. They, can't, they don't understand how to overcome the failures that are in their life. And so he's looking at them and he's saying, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you. Have you ever had a friend, or maybe, maybe, maybe you, not necessarily you, but have you ever had a friend that said, you know, I, I just, you know, thank you for the invite to go into your church, but I just don't belong there. Or if I go to church, lightning is going to strike. Or if I show up to church, um, the church may go up on flames. Have you ever had anyone say something like that? Now, I invite friends to church all the time, and, and I've been fortunate to meet some really great friends that have never been to church before or that believe that, that church is a place where they're going to be told all the time what they're doing wrong, and they already know that what they're doing wrong. So they just, you know, they just help the church out and say, hey, I'm not going to go because I already know what I'm doing wrong. And so they often, they often be like, hey, man, I just, I just don't belong there. And I'm like, no, no, yes, you got to understand South Hills is not like one of those churches. South Hills is a church of love and grace, and nobody's, gonna, nobody's there to tell you what you're doing wrong. We already know we're all doing something wrong, many things wrong. And they're like, yeah, if I go, but I'm going to get struck by lightning. And so this is the Apostle Paul helping people understand, helping people understand that, hey, don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Now, it's a true story. I literally, it just for, I would say, the new year, I 
I had a friend that I invited to church, and he's like, I, I promise you I'm going to get struck by lightning. And, I, and, and, and my, one of, uh, my campus pastor in Idaho at the time, uh, he, he was really smart. He's like, hey, man, don't worry. He's like, we'll have fire extinguishers there. And so he's trying to obviously help him understand, like, listen, listen, we've heard all those stories. Trust me on this. You're going to be fine, and you're going to enjoy the service, and you're going to enjoy what God has to say. So this is the Apostle Paul encouraging people, saying, don't you understand? You're going to be fine. God's patient. God is kind. God is merciful. And so one of the greatest stories I remember of grace and, and, you know, unfortunately, as, as, hu- as, as we live our human's life, uh, the human life, the hard part to understand is God's version of grace. Because the reality is most of our experiences are human nature, okay? So human nature love, human nature grace, human nature anger, human nature frustrations. Most of our understandings is human nature. So for us to step out of human nature and think about the level that God has for love and for grace and for kindness, it's beyond our understanding because we don't have it, right? So we don't know how to connect at that level of grace and love and kindness and patience that God does because we don't have the ability to be God. And so we can experience a portion of it, but at the end of the day, God's grace and God's understanding and God's love is always going to be much greater than what you and I can possibly do. But at the end of the day, my father made an amazing effort, a moment that was in my head and in my heart from childhood. I, as an elementary school kid, believe this or not, I would get myself into trouble. And my kids are here, and so I'm going to water down this message just a little bit. I I listened like 99% of the time, kids. But there was a few times, there was a few times that I'd get myself into trouble. And my dad was, you know, he, my parents were pretty strict at home, and so we really didn't have a lot of grace for air at home. And and if we made the decision to get ourselves into trouble and make bad choices, those bad choices had consequences, painful consequences, my ad, physically painful consequences. And so, um, and so sure enough, you know, I, 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 I was one of those kids that would hear the words like, hey, don't get in trouble. Hey, be a good listener. Hey, make sure you're listening to the teacher. Hey, don't put your hands on, on other kids. Leave them alone. I, I would hear those words and I would understand them. Like, I really would. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's good advice, yeah. And then it'd go in here and out here, and then next thing I know, I'm getting myself into trouble. Getting in fights, messing, you know, get, not listening to teachers, all that craziness. And so, for some reason, I really struggled with being a good listener. I understood. So it wasn't a lack of understanding. I understood what was being told to me. I understood what was expected of me. But somehow, someway, I didn't know how to discipline myself to actually following through with staying out of trouble. And so, yeah, there could be a lot of counseling in there, and I'm sure there's a lot of great stories and a lot of great reasons. Who doesn't have them, right? We all have reasons for why we do what we do. But at the end of the day, I got myself into trouble again. And this time the teacher's like, hey, listen, Moses, that was unacceptable. You're going to have to stay after school for an hour. You're going to be in detention. I'm calling your parents. We've had enough. And I'm thinking like, oh, man, this is it. Like, my dad is going to kill me. Like, literally, like I thought it was going to end. 
And so sure enough, I was stressed for the rest of the day, and it happened early in the day, so I was stressed for the rest of the day. I'm like thinking, like, this is it. Like, my dad's going to have the end of me. So they call my dad. They tell him, hey, your son got in trouble again in school. He's not listening. Um, he's going to have to be in detention for an hour, and you're going to have to get out of work and come pick him up after school because the buses are gone, and so the, bus, the buses can't take him home. So this was another thing that was, like, super scary for me because it was like my dad had to leave work to go pick up his kid who was not being a good listener. And so, so sure enough, um, the day goes on, everybody goes home, all the buses take the kids home, and I'm there in detention thinking about all my bad choices and thinking about how my dad's going to kill me. And sure enough, detention's over, and I'm taking, like, the, the walk of death. And I'm, like, walking out to the parking lot, and I'm just waiting. And sure enough, here comes my dad's car. It's a gigantic, long car, so it just kept coming around the corner and coming and coming and coming, which felt like forever. Pulls into the school, and I just my heart was starting to pound. My heart was starting to race. And then sure enough, he pulls in, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm dead. Like, I'm a dead man. Like, and then sure enough, he's got like, this look, very non-emotional look on his face. Just no smile, no no nothing. I pull in. I literally get into the car, and I sit to the far as right as I possibly could, get, uh, trying to get away from arm, arm's distance. And I'm just as quiet as you can be, not saying a word, not making eye contact. And then as he pulls out, to go home, you're supposed to turn right. He turns left. And as you turn left, you kind of head into like where there's no more homes. You kind of head into like a farmland. And I'm thinking like, oh, man, he's going to take me where nobody can hear me screaming. He's going to take me to where, you know, where no one can hear me ask, crying for help. And so straight up, he turns left, and I'm like, I'm dead. Like, I'm really, really a dead man, right? And so somehow he, he figures out how to make, make another left, and he pulls into a jack-in-a-box. And I'm thinking he's going to give me my last meal? Like, what's, what is going on here? And so sure enough, we go in, we eat. He says nothing. He has said zero words. And then we get back into the car, and I'm like, okay, he's given, he's given me my last meal. I used to love those ultimate bacon cheeseburgers. I still remember them today. And then sure enough, we drive home. And my mom knew, like, oh, dude, like, your dad, your dad had to get out of work to go get you from detention because you could not be a good listener. And so we come, in, we come home. He goes, he goes in. He goes about his business. I come home. My mom looks at me, and she's like, what happened? I said, nothing. She's like, what do you mean, nothing? I said, yeah, nothing. You took me to Jack in a Box. And she's like, took you to Jack in a Box. And I'm like, yeah. And then she's like, oh, man. She's like, that's so weird. So I'm thinking, now, is it just lingering? Is it going to happen the rest of the day? Sure enough, my dad never, ever, ever said a word about it. Never punished me for it. Never took any, anything away from me, just never said a word about it. You know what he did that day? And here's what he did. <sighs> he showed me grace. I already knew I was a failure. I already knew I was constantly getting into trouble. I already knew what I did was wrong. So he decided that day to show me grace. When I deserved punishment. 
He was gracious. And sure enough, little did he know what that moment was going to do for my life. And little did he know what that message was going to carry into my heart for the rest of my life. And when I think about God's grace, I think about that moment because in my human nature, I got to see a, a, a glimpse of what God's grace looks like through my father. And so sure enough, as I think about grace and as I think about the mistakes and the errors and the shortcomings and the falls that we have, I think about how that moment was ultimately the picture that painted a small version of what God's grace would, would be like. And now as I, as I, as I am a father, I see how difficult that is. I see how difficult it is to show grace when it's the same mistake over and over. When it's a new mistake and they weren't told what to do or they just ultimately made a, a, a mistake on their own, it's like, okay, let's talk about it. But when it's the same one over and over and over, like, hey, be positive to your brothers and hey, keep your hands off of him. Hey, quit picking on him. Hey, sorry. When it's the same things over and over, the grace starts to run out. The grace starts to get like, you start to get really frustrated. But at the end of the day, that was the, the illustration that I remember the strongest from God's grace, right? And so um, as we dive into this message today, I want, to, I want to help you understand a little bit of a few things that, that, uh, that for one, the great grace of God, but two, how often we ourselves, our pride keeps us from that grace, and so there's a, uh, there's a story that I want to dive into, and it's found in Luke, Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to kind of just break this down because the reality is this. God has this amount of grace that he wants to share to us and wants to keep us connected to him. But often our own understanding of grace and often our own uh, fears and often our own guilt and often our own shame of the errors and the mistakes that we make keep us from the closeness of how God really wants to be to us. And the story is found in Luke chapter 19. And this is when Jesus ultimately came to Jericho and, uh, and there's a man named Zacchaeus who was considered probably one of the worst of the worst in that town. Not, be, not from the sense of like, um, you know, what we would, we would consider like a, a drunkard or a, or a like evil, angry, um, physically uh, painful person, but more in the sense of a thief and a liar. And so this is the story. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to, to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked at Zacchaeus, and he called by the man. He said, Zacchaeus. He said, quick, Come down. I must be a guest in your home today. So let me just stop here for a second. And I'm sorry, give me a second here. So when Jesus yelled out to Zacchaeus and he said, Come down from that tree. I must be a guest in your home today. This 
was breaking so many rules and was breaking so many laws and was breaking so many traditions because Zacchaeus was a well-known tax collector. And in that time, tax collectors had authority from the Roman government to go to homes and collect their collect the, the government's taxes. But here's here's the deal. And the, the Roman government didn't care how much they collected as long as they got their cut. So if somebody owed $10, the tax collector would hire Roman soldiers, take them to these homes, threaten them with their lives, and walk away with $20. And so Zacchaeus' system was 10 for you, 10 for me, 5 for you, 5 for me, 20 for you, 20 for me. So he was like one of the, one of the, one of the guys that were considered one of the, the lowest of the low, like going into people's homes, threatening with their lives, you know, you know, ultimately taking everything that they owned and giving the government their cut and keeping his cut. And so for the people-wise, he was a terrible man. Like, this guy is absolutely the scum of the earth. They, how dare him ultimately threaten people with their life and have them live in fear day after day. And as they come and as he knocks on their doors and he threatens them and it takes all their money, right? So when Jesus came into town, the people's mindset was like, oh man, finally someone's going to tell this guy all the wrong that he's doing all the, the, the errors in his life and all the mistakes that he's making. And finally, someone gonna, gonna, is going to speak up and say, dude, you are evil. That is so wrong of you to do that. Change your ways, you sinner, you, you, you scum of the earth. Like they were finally thinking someone's going to tell this guy all the errors and the mistakes that he's making in his life. And then Jesus comes in and he says, hey, let's go have dinner. Hey, I'm going to come over to your house and we're going to sit and we're going to eat. And so this was completely confusing and a little more than confusing. It was like made people angry because the opportunity that they were looking for was not for Jesus to come in and have dinner with this guy. But sure enough, Jesus had a different way of approaching everyone, whether they were great people, where they were, whether they were scum of the earth, whether, whether there were people who loved people and were encouraging, or whether there were people who took advantage of people, he had a different way of approaching everyone. And so what he does is he goes and he sits and he has dinner with this man and doesn't say a word about all the sin and errors and evil in his life. But yet, Somehow, some way, Zacchaeus still found transformation in his life. And here's what it says. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took, uh, took, uh, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of the notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. Lord, I have cheated people on their taxes and I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come into this home. For this man has shown himself to be true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to speak and to save those who were lost. Somehow Zacchaeus still had transformation in his heart, even though Jesus never called him out on his sin. And the point I'd love to make in this, in this moment is this. People wanted to tell Jesus People wanted Jesus to tell the lost how to live. But Jesus wanted to show the lost that they were loved. People wanted Jesus to tell the lost, tell them that they were lost, and tell them how to live. 
But Jesus' focus was, let me just show them how they are loved. And when I show them how they are loved, watch what happens to their heart. And sure enough, Zacchaeus had transformation in his heart. Now, real quick, before you go on thinking about Zacchaeus and being the scum of the earth and ultimately somehow, you know, he he was a bad man and he should have been told what was wrong and there should have been some sort of system to it. Uh, Let me just let me just play a game with you guys real quick. okay? Uh, let's just play a game and you raise your hand if if this is true or this is not. How many of you have ever told a lie? Okay, let's see here. Let's see. Uh, Okay. All right. All right, so everybody in the room and online, I'm sure you guys have also told lies, all right? Okay, so um, how many of you have done it more than once? Wow, still everybody. Okay, all right, so everybody has still done this more than once. Okay, how many of you have ever broken the law? Okay, so, so we had 99% of the people have ultimately ran a red light or have ultimately, um, you know, talked on the phone while you're, while you're driving. Okay, all right, so 99% of the people. All right, so still the majority of the people here. How many of you have done it more than once? Okay, let's see here. Um, all right, so you don't have to raise your hand so high on this one because I'm turning up the heat. Uh, but how many of you, and you can just give me like one of these, like... How many of you have ever stolen something that didn't belong to you? Oh, my goodness. So I'm in a room with a bunch of liars, a bunch of thieves, a bunch of people who break the law. So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a room right now with some really heavy hitters in here, right? And, 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 and so here, here's the thing. The reality is, before I asked those questions, I knew that everybody was going to raise their hand. Before and it didn't even matter if I was going to ask it once. If I was going to ask it, did you do it once? Did you did did you do it twice? I knew. Do you know why I knew? Because of this scripture right here in Romans chapter three verse twenty three says, "For everyone has sinned. We have all fall fall short of God's glory. Every one of us, including myself, especially myself, as I've as I as I shared with you guys today. So every one of us." have fallen short of God's glory. And here's the reality. We've done it more than once, right? And so this is, this is a great illustration for you to help an understanding of, okay, let, let's say this is God, right? Perfect. God is up here. And then let's just say the scum of the earth, the lowest of the low, are way down here. And, and, and not that, you know, not, not that there's a vertical, like, this is not so bad of a sin, and this is the, the deepest sin, but you feel the gap of, like, worst of the worst down here, okay? And I'm just going to put whatever you think it is, worst of the worst, all right? I have a few things down there that I hate more than things up here, but at the end of the day, this is the worst of the worst, right? Now... Now, ideally, this is a lot of fun. Here we go. I don't know how Chris does this every week. Okay, so ideally, if, if you could think of the person who was about as perfect as you could possibly be, the saint of the world, the, the person that was, like, if from the human standpoint, was about as good of a person that could possibly be, and I'm sure we all have one, but for me, it's probably Mother Teresa sacrificed her whole life to do good and ultimately, you know, live as, as holy as you possibly can be. But if you read, her, read her, 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 her research, if you read her stories, she still felt short of the honor and glory of God, right? So she was about as close as you can possibly be, but she still fell short, which was right about here. 
in her head. All right, Mother Teresa. There, Isa. All right. And then um, let's say you guys are probably pretty close to that. Uh, most likely, will we say here, a little higher, a little lower, a little lower, lower? All right, you, you be, be nice to yourselves. Be nice to yourselves. So we're going to say we're gonna say you, okay? We're going to say you, right? And, and me, I, I, I don't, I'm not as good as, I don't consider myself as good as you guys. I'm down here. Like, I'm, this is me right here, right? All right. Barely, barely, barely above there. Okay, so this, this is how God's grace works. There's a gap between you and God. There's a gap where we fall short. My gap is bigger. Mine's way down here. This gap is God's grace. This is why we can be in relationship with someone who is so holy and perfect. Because prior to Jesus Christ's story, we weren't allowed to have that direct relationship. We had to go somewhere else, kind of like a Mother Teresa, to speak on our behalf, right? Can you ask God for forgiveness? Can you ask him for guidance? Can you have, right? And so when Jesus Christ came, he closed this gap so that we can have this direct relationship with God. He closed that gap, and that gap is the grace. But you know what keeps us from accepting that grace? It's pride. Pride is what keeps us from accepting this grace because we may not want to be told what to do. Um, we may not want to be told what to have corrected. We may not want to make changes in our lives to figure out how to close this gap a little further. No matter what, we're always going to have a gap, right? But at the end of the day, pride is what keeps us from moving further in that, in that story, further in this, 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 this uh, relationship with God. And at the end of the day, nothing, God wants nothing more than to have us in relationship. So he's kind and generous and patient and loving and waits and waits and waits and waits for us to accept that grace, to put our pride down and to allow him to show us love and kindness so that we can be in that relationship with him. Now, Zacchaeus had to let go of his pride in order to let Christ into his home. And Jesus' priority there was connecting with the lost versus convincing them that they were lost. And there's a, there's a, there's a scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 that Apostle Paul does such an amazing job and says, this is what I was, but God. This is where I was, but God. And it says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience, by your many mistakes and sins, you lived in sin, just like the world, just like the world did. And then verse four says, but God so rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much that even though you were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Have you ever noticed areas in your life, but ultimately something happened that changed your life, right? Like I used to not be a husband, 
but Jill, change that for me. I used to not be a father, but my kids made me a father. So the story here goes, you, me, us used to have a gigantic gap between us and God, but God through his grace closed that gap. And I'm going to share this story with you guys. And I'm going to ask the band to get ready because I'm going to have them sing a song with this. This is uh, one of the stories of, of a man named John who was born in 1725. And John lost his mother two weeks before his seventh birthday. And John eventually grew up to work as a crew member on a ship. Uh, John was, was what we, we would consider just a hot mess. John didn't get along with most of the crew members. He had like one friend on this entire cruise ship. Um, he, was a, he was a wild person, out of control, rude, selfish, a raging drunk is how he was labeled. Not just a drunk, like a raging drunk. Uh, he was violent. His nickname was the Great Blasphemer. John was, the, John was basically the term cussed like a sailor. And he was what you would consider the worst of the worst. And the quote that the captain used to describe John was this. Not only did he use the worst language I have ever seen or heard, but created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. Okay, so if you, if you just examine that quote for a second, what the captain was saying, this guy's words were so terrible that for one, most of us never even knew existed in the English vocabulary. Two, how in the world he put these words together was mind-blowing. And just pause there for a second, because I want you to understand this. John was gifted with words. He was creative. He could paint pictures with words that most of us would never be able to do. But he wasn't using them for encouragement or positive, um, po a positive life. He was using them to destroy. And so the, the captain said, not only did he use these words in this language, I've ever seen or heard, but created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. John was so hated that one time he fell overboard and his crew members threw harpoons at him instead of life preservers. This is how much he was hated. The captain one time was so tired of him that he had John stripped down naked and flogged eight dozen times, 96 times. See, this is why you need to do your homework. 96 times in front of 350 people. Absolutely just embarrassed him, right? John was so furious that he decided that he was going to murder the captain and take his life. But before he could execute his plan, they were caught out on a storm by the biggest storm they had ever seen. They were thrown off their ship. They were all going to die. And in his moment of weakness, in his moment of fear, in his moment of reality, like this is really the end, he cries out to God. He said, God, if there's a way for you to save us, if there's a way for you to save me, save me. And sure enough, the storm calmed and they were able to get, climb back into the boat. And he didn't quite change his life at that moment, but the wheels started turning. Maybe this God that I've been being blasphemous with my entire life, maybe there's something there. So then he started reading scripture and slowly but surely, 
John's life started to change. And John started to get a hold of a God who had loved him. And a God that was patient with him. And a God that showed kindness. And a God that was just present and waited and waited for him to transform and accept God's grace and allow his heart to be changed. And in 1772, John Newton wrote the song, Amazing Grace. And I'm going to have Jamie sing that, and I want you guys to hear this song for the very first time through a new lens, through the story of John, who ultimately accepted God's grace and allowed his heart to be transformed and took that gift, that gift that God had given him with words and creativity, but used it for a different reason to show us the amount of grace that God has for our life. So I'm going to have Jamie sing that song. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.